556. Warning. Access restricted. Please submit to DNA. Verification. Processing. Verification complete. Access granted. Welcome. Hello and welcome to the Monitor Room at the Christian Geek Central Podcast, a biblical examination and celebration of geekery and geek entertainment, as well as the official podcast of ChristianGeekCentral.com. I'm Peter Franson from Spirit Blade Productions, producing entertainment and resources to hopefully equip, encourage, and inspire Christian geeks like you and me to live in the freedom and purpose that Christ has given us. For more information about Spirit Blade Productions, you can check out SpiritBlade.com or Patreon.com slash Spirit Blade Productions. I'm sure you can probably tell I'm a little stuffed up. I uh, got a cold that was going around the family during our vacation out of town last week, which uh, thankfully did not affect our plans too terribly much, but uh, it was still a bummer, and I was the last one to get it, which made the drive home kind of crappy, and uh, the first part of the week uh, not great, but... I am on the mend and to have most of my energy back, and which is really good timing because, oh my gosh, I had stuff to review this week and I'm heading into a monster of a week uh, coming up. So anyway, on the show today, my review of Godzilla, King of the Monsters, and the highly anticipated by me anyway, Dark Phoenix, the new X-Men movie. All right, here we go. Well, thank you all for joining me on this historic day. The serum I've created will give anyone who drinks it the power to objectively know the difference between something that is cool and something that is lame. The serum is available to anyone who provides a review for the Spirit Blade Underground podcast and is completely safe. Allow me to demonstrate. Godzilla, King of the Monsters. The synopsis on IMDb reads, The new story follows the heroic efforts of the cryptozoological agency Monarch as its members face off against a battery of god-sized monsters, including the mighty Godzilla, who collides with Mothra, Rodan, and his ultimate nemesis, the three-headed King Ghidorah. When these ancient superspecies, thought to be mere myths, rise again, they all vie for supremacy, leaving humanity's very existence hanging in the balance because of course you have to have humanity's existence hanging in the balance um all right so i didn't uh, you can watch my review for the i believe it was 2014 movie godzilla which was the reboot of this new godzilla universe um and i was not a real fan of that i did like what they did uh, in this movie compared to that movie it's going for much more human drama than the last movie did taking a little time for some character motivations and backstories um giving like i think some some 
some time to shots that just allowed the actors to perform, you know? And so the, the element of pacing and how they invested in dra drama and dramatic beats in this movie was greatly appreciated by me. I love monster movies. Um, I, I tend to enjoy the more humanoid sized monster movies like aliens, predator, John Carpenter's the thing, stuff like that. Um, but I'm warming up over the years to these giant skyscraper sized, you know, monsters. Uh, but for me, it, they, need to be represented in the world physically in a way that kind of makes sense to me. Like I could never get into the old, um, gosh, Ultraman. There was an Ultraman series. You know, those, I mean, there's a bunch of like a dime a dozen Japanese live action series involving people turning into giant heroes or giant robots or giant monsters. And they fight in the city and stuff like that. And there's massive destruction. And it just looked so fake to me because of like, well, for numerous reasons, but, but one of the reasons that was key is the way they moved. Um, if you're going to have them move at like, you know, what, what like scale wise would be normal human speed, then there should be repercussions of that movement in the form of like big waves of, of air just being whooshed around. So there should just be constant, like, you know, almost hurricanes around creatures of that size moving that fast. You know, uh, the other option is to have them go really slow and lumbering and stuff. And that's another way that movies will sometimes do giant, you know, characters. Uh, I don't like that as much. I, I, I felt like what they did with this movie and the movement of the creatures was a nice halfway point where it was slower than, you know, scale monster, you know, movement, uh, or like a, like a, uh, cheetah or like a lion or some kind of comparable, you know, uh, animal in the wild animal in the world. It's definitely slower than that, but it was faster than some of the really slow lumbering giant type stuff we've seen in giant monster movies and giant creature movies of the past. So, uh, and there were repercussions of that movement, just having one creature fly, you know, over a city caused like massive shock waves that were just destroying buildings, just him flying over it, you know? And so I appreciate things like that that bring these monsters into the world and make them into more than just monsters. They become like like these like uh, natural disasters, you know. And I'll get I'll get to that when I maybe when I talk about the effects a little bit more. But um, it's still very much a giant giant monster movie, as I said. Even though they did invest some nice time in character development and character drama, uh, lots of giant monster action, lots of giant monster fighting, but with a quote-unquote hide-the-monster approach mixed in with that that showcases just the immensity and awe of these creatures along with the action. I think they kind of ease us into seeing these giant monsters by showing them silhouetted or obscured a little bit or from a distance, you know. Uh, and, I, and I think that also helps, to, uh, helps me, at least as a viewer, appreciate the scale of the creatures and just it, it it eases me into accepting them as a grounded reality, you know, in this world. And uh, so I really appreciated that. But don't get me wrong, they're not hiding the monster the whole time. They they go back and forth between some of that hide the monster type technique and then also just in your face, crazy giant Titan monster action, you know. So if you're in it for that, you're going to get that itch scratched. But if you're like me and that can, if it's introduced too quickly and too much, kind of feel like ridiculous or just numbing after a while, they do 
some nice hide the monster Jaws type stuff. Uh, that I'm talking about the first Jaws movie, the Spielberg movie, where he's obscured. You can you see him through the water a little bit, but it's a blurry image a lot of the time. You don't see the shark very much at all in that first movie, and uh, and so it's a it's a great technique in monster movies for me because my imagination can really go to work and fill in the gaps in some great ways that CGI just fails uh, me in. So uh, as far as the tone goes, it does have a few jokes here and there, but they're largely playing this as serious. I, I do wish they would have given even more time to the character stories as they anchor the story emotionally for me. You know, I mean, giant monsters, maybe Godzilla is a very complex character, but I don't think there's any way for us to really know that because he doesn't speak and his his face is not... Uh, it's very alien looking, you know, and so it's hard to read emotion if they're if they are if they were to try to portray subtle emotions, um, it would be really hard. You know, they just don't have the tools uh, to show us the complexity of his character and emotion in order for us to sympathize with him. We can sympathize with Godzilla, I think, in the same way that you sympathize with an animal in a movie that's like, you know, if there's a, what I call a horse movie, you know, where you've got like uh, this family that really cares about a horse and, you know, there's other stuff going on, but we really care about about this animal, this dolphin, this horse, this whatever the animal is, this bear, you know, um, we kind of care about it as a as an innocent animal, you know, but not in the same way that we invest in the the drama of a person who whose motives we really understand and can you know relate to. So, um, so for me, it's it's important to have those character drama moments. Otherwise, I'm going to completely check out of a movie like this and. I wish they would have given me more. I, I applaud them and thank them for going as far as they did compared to the last movie, but I wish that we would have gotten even more. Maybe a director's cut. That'd be awesome. Um, let's see here. As far as the cast goes, I felt like they were all pretty solid. It's a cast that's largely populated by actors known for their dramatic work. Uh, now, the script doesn't take advantage of that as much as I think it could, but the performers, I would say, generally elevate the material, which I always really appreciate. As far as stunts and visuals go, lots of explosions and large-scale destruction, along with the CG monsters. Um, the hide the monster approach really did add a lot to me, a lot for me, I should say, as I mentioned earlier. Um, and as I also said earlier, it makes the monsters more than monsters. It makes them like these giant hurricanes or volcanoes or earthquakes. It kind of turns this movie into kind of a, dis a disaster movie where the natural disaster is a giant creature instead of, you know, a, uh, an earthquake or whatever. Uh, the, still, though, I, I have to say that it usually the visuals fall flat for me when it's just two CG creatures fighting. They didn't do that for long in this movie. Um, they, they would like have them going at it, but then they would cut away to show the surrounding destruction going on as a result of the fight, you know, which I think is really important. It gives, gives me that sense of scale. But the longer they held on just two CG monsters going at it, the less interested I became, you know, so uh, because, you know, to my cursed eye, it just looks like cartoons kind of. So, um, but I do think that, I, I suspect anyway, that fans will get a lot out of those moments uh, of two CG creatures going at it, even if I didn't. I'd love to hear from you if you're a fan of uh, giant monster movies or the Godzilla movies uh, in general and uh, get get your thoughts on this. Um, as far as like themes, you know, is there any uh, material in here that might stimulate some worthwhile thought or conversation about moral, philosophical, or spiritual issues? Uh, I think so. The, the Titans, which is what they call the giant monsters in this movie, uh, they're used many times to parallel either God in some nebulous sense or the various gods of historical 
religions. They're called the first gods at least twice in this movie. They are displayed at times with this grand beauty and awe-inspiring power that evokes almost a sense a sense of stunned worship from the characters who see them and are just like totally taken aback and stunned as they see the majesty of these giant creatures. Uh, Godzilla himself is the defender of humanity. Uh, even though some humans hate him, much like God, uh, has our best interests in mind, uh, even though many uh, people hate him. And uh, Godzilla is even given a crucifixion resurrection arc, which I don't think is a spoiler because it happens early enough in the movie that you're like, come on, the movie's called Godzilla. He's not staying dead, you know? Um, and that crucifixion resurrection arc is is made all the more prominent by a strongly featured cross in the foreground of multiple key shots at the moment of his quote-unquote death. Um, the, the parallel does hit its limits in a major way, given how his resurrection is handled, and I won't talk about that here. You can look at my spoiler car video at patreon.com slash spiritbladeproductions. I'm going to get into all the details about my thoughts on, on the resurrection of Godzilla and some other elements in the that are, that are heavily spoiler-related. But... Um, but I still appreciated a number of the parallels in this movie to Christian teaching. I don't necessarily think they were intentional, but I saw them there and uh, and I welcomed them. You know, in the world of Godzilla, as presented in this movie, humans are kind of helpless and subject to a power far greater than themselves. Humans are also the cause of evil in the world, which is clearly heading in a self-destructive direction. Uh, they need a being that is both good and far more powerful than they are to sort of take center stage and make all the wrong things right even if that means unleashing massive destruction on the world. Uh, in the real world, we are headed in a very self-destructive direction because of our choices and all the ways that we all contribute uh, to that self-destruction. And in the end, we will need someone greater than us to intervene and set things right. Uh, but there will be both resistance to that and a lot of destruction in the process. Uh, so I look at this movie and I think, well, sure, you could easily watch this as just a giant monster movie uh, and enjoy the rock'em sock'em titan battles. Uh, but there are, I think, some worthwhile, sobering truths to consider that can be found in this movie, too. All right, I have no idea what your tastes are in movies, but if I were a time traveler, I'd go back in time and say, Peter, um, rent this one sometime, or wait for it like on Amazon Prime since you're already paying for that. It's a mixed bag for your tastes, but it does enough things uh, that you're going to like to make it worth your time at some point. You guys can get my spoiler-filled reactions to Godzilla King of the Monsters in my spoiler car video series, just one of many perks available for your support at patreon.com slash spiritbladeproductions. This one is rated PG-13 for sequences of monster, action, violence, and destruction, and for some language. I want to remind you guys to check out the other members of the Christian Geek Central Network, such as the Strangers and Aliens podcast, the Theology Gaming podcast, the Untold podcast, POS, TOS, Helix Reviews, and the Retro Rewind podcast. For more information about the CGC Network, visit ChristianGeekCentral.com. Data collection complete. Activating Usenet 1.0. This week at YouTube.com, YouTube.com slash Christian Geek Central, uh, I posted my review of Godzilla King of the Monsters. Also, Spirit Blade Legacy Edition with text commentary part 
2 is up right now. That's part of the big launch of our free forever version of Spirit Blade Legacy Edition on the YouTube channel. Uh, and then my also my reactions to Google Stadia, which E3 ended up starting a little bit earlier for me <laughs> this time around uh, because Google Stadia did an event on Thursday talking about their streaming platform and really making a presentation to try to appeal to gamers for why uh, this will be a really cool thing and, a, and a, a great prospect financially for them as well. And I definitely had some thoughts and reactions to that. In fact, I titled it Google Stadia E3 Reactions, A Christian Geek's Console. Uh, and there are reasons why it uh, it certainly could be appropriate for Christian geeks in particular, but uh, also some reasons that it might definitely not be. Anyway, you can get my video on that at youtube.com slash Central. By now, I should also have posted my review of Dark Phoenix. Uh, and then stay tuned at uh, the YouTube channel. This, I mean, starting this Saturday and then going on through next Friday for one or more videos coming out almost every day as I react to all the news and conferences and events and stuff uh, that I'm able to check out online going on at uh, E3. I think Thursday will be maybe the only day that I don't post something about E3. I'm not sure, but I, oh, I also got to do a movie review. So I don't know, probably close to every day, if not every day next week. <laughs> one or more videos uh, from me about E3. So if you're into video games, stay tuned at youtube.com slash Christian Geek Central. Uh, and then anything you want to do to, to help uh, get this content out there and just kind of perpetuate it and help other people become aware of it, I'd be really grateful. You know, you could like, share, subscribe, whatever you want to do. I'd be I'd be really grateful for that. Let's see what else. Um, I've really been swamped and so I haven't been able to keep up. As I mentioned, might be the case with the uh, uh, Christian Geekly News highlights, which is usually my highlighting uh, uh, kind of like what's going on in the, in the Twitterverse, and so I've really been behind on that. I did actually um, retweet some things that I thought were of note. Uh, I just didn't have a chance to collect them in my notes for this podcast. So anyway, if you do want to stay up to date on just kind of what I think is the notable news and events from the wider world of Christian Geekery, just a reminder, uh, you can follow Christian Geek Central on Twitter, at Christian underscore Geek. Uh, let's see, at Patreon.com slash Spiritblade Productions, I've launched some new tiers as of this month uh, with new perks, including a Discord access, uh, spoiler, my spoiler car video series where I share my thoughts hot off of the, uh, the the theater or hot off the, what do we say, hot off the popcorn or something lame like that. Anyway, uh, right, basically on the drive home from watching the movies that, uh, I review, I just spit out all of my, you know, shocked spoiler reactions or whatever I have to say that I couldn't con include really in my review in good conscience um, without, you know, spoiling it. Uh, so that's a whole video series I started a number of months ago. Uh, and then also there's a, a tier that allows you to have a monthly voice chat hangout with me and, uh, and others at that tier. So, and, and other cool changes as well. So, uh, you can check out the new changes and see if there might be a tier that appeals to you over at patreon.com slash spirit blade productions. I hope you'll consider doing it that it, it is really because of the people supporting me like that, that uh, I'm able to continue doing what I'm doing and consider new options, uh, new avenues for this ministry. So uh, I'd be really grateful if you'd consider doing that. And, I want to thank, again, all of my Spirit Blade insiders for your support, guys. Thank you, thank you so much. Um, all right, I think that's all about that. Okay. All right, this is... Um, <clears throat> this is... Um, 
Audio Journal number five since the incident. I'm still pretty sure I've developed some kind of superpowers despite the negative results in the last four tests. Um, I'm going to give it another try today after a trip to the hardware store. This is invulnerability test number one. Healing factor. This is healing factor test number one. Dark Phoenix. Was that my phone just ringing just now? I don't think so. Okay. Uh, The synopsis on IMDb reads, Jean Grey begins to develop incredible powers that corrupt and turn her into a dark phoenix. Now the X-Men will have to decide if the life of a team member is worth more than all the people living in the world. All right. So let's talk about the basic feel of the story, the vibe, and uh, maybe how it compares to the other movies. This was surprisingly on a smaller scale than X-Men Apocalypse, the last movie that came out, focusing on uh, Jean Grey's kind of broken past and then the the relationship she had with other team members and how her brokenness and the things that caused that brokenness caused kind of turmoil and conflict between various members of the X-Men and the X-Men cast. Um, now, I'm invested in these characters because of the previous three movies with the first class cast say that five times fast but uh this didn't feel like it leveraged those relationships as well as it might have x-men 3 i'm gonna give some spoilers for x-men 3 which is like the old you know uh late early 2000s movie okay um X-Men 3 covered the same ground somewhat with its version of this Dark Phoenix story from the comic books. And I felt like the most pivotal deaths in that movie had intense character relationships right at the center of them. You know, you had Jean Grey who killed Cyclops and then Wolverine killed Jean Grey. And this movie lacked the same level of close relationships at the center of its biggest moments in dealing with the Dark Phoenix story. Uh, For more on what I mean about that, specifically, you can check out my spoiler car video for $5 patrons at patreon.com slash spiritbladeproductions. Now, in some ways... It felt like a wrap-up of the first-class movies, but in at least one major way, it seems to set up a sequel that likely won't happen, as far as I can tell, unless Marvel uses alternate timeline stuff in the MCU, which they totally could at this point, you know what I'm talking about if you've seen uh, recent movies, to merge the two universes somehow, you know? Um... So, yeah, I, but it's, I, I don't know. I don't, I, don't, I don't dare pin my hopes on that. Um, some of the newer X-Men like Storm and Nightcrawler get some great screen moments, at least in the action. I don't think their characters are really explored as much as I would like them to. I think they could have taken the opportunity to really start investing in them, but maybe it was their intent to kind of wrap it up with this movie or this movie and then one more. That's what it felt like more to me. It felt like this movie was intended to be the setup for maybe one final X-Men first class cast movie but i i don't know if that's going to happen now anyway quicksilver was not involved in much of this movie which was a bummer just from a power standpoint he's his scenes are always a lot of fun to watch maybe they recognize like wow he is so overpowered we got to take him out of the story somehow so that you know he doesn't just solve it all in you know in a second you know he's super super powerful um so he's 
he's involved in you know one major scene and that's about it for this movie and I felt like I was cheated of the payoff that I wanted regarding his relationship with Magneto which was teased um, in the last two movies it was hinted at the first time he made an appearance in uh, uh, what was the Days of Future Past and then it was really pushed into more in Apocalypse and I'm like well surely they're going to culminate that storyline in this next X-Men movie and it never even came up. It never even came up. So I was really disappointed in that. Um, but this cast that we have now, we've introduced these younger X-Men characters as of the last X-Men movie. Now they could be developing them and these younger heroes could easily last for two to three more movies without being too old. You know, I think uh, Xavier and Magneto don't have to uh look young they in fact in this movie i have to say i've been keeping track i recently rewatched the three movies before this and in this timeline xavier and uh eric lencher magneto were both born at around 1934 you know and this movie takes place in 1992 so they should look both of them really close to 60, or at least in their mid-50s. I had problems with the fact that they didn't seem to be aging at all in the last uh, movie or two. It just It's just become more pronounced to me as they've jumped a decade with each one of these movies. And now I'm like, these guys should be looking mid to late 50s right now, and I'm not buying it. I would buy it maybe that uh, uh, Michael Fassbender's Eric Lencher could be a guy that was just uh, young looking in his mid to late 50s. I could I could maybe buy that with him. But James McAvoy's Charles Xavier, I do not look at and see a guy in his mid to late 50s. Um, so that's, uh, that's a bit of a bummer. Anyway, but those guys don't need to stay young and sexy or whatever for the, uh, the Hollywood, you know, guys suits that want to sell tickets to kids that are just, you know, want that kind of stuff in their movies. We've got this new crop of X-Men that could be young and vibrant and as sexy as they want them to be, I guess, uh, for at least two or three more movies. And it just doesn't look like that's going to happen. I could be wrong. We'll see. Anyway, as far as the cast goes, I really did think that the cast was was solid, you know. Uh, I wish that we could have explored more of the younger X-Men's backstories and characters, even though we know some of them before, technically, if you've watched the older X-Men movies. This is a new cast. It's a new timeline that's kind of been established um, as it's diverted from the original timeline, and so I would have liked more exploration of, of them, but we didn't really get that. Um, I, I really missed the range of performance that Michael Fassbender gave us in X-Men Apocalypse. They gave him this great, tragic story to work with in that movie, and he just didn't have anything like that to play with as an actor in this movie. And I felt like the actors that did have the opportunity to really do some heavy emotional stuff... I just personally didn't connect with their performances in the same way that I did with Fassbender's in, uh, in X-Men Apocalypse. And so, again, in, in many respects, this movie just felt like lower stakes, um, you know, and uh, in terms of, like, action and lower emotional stakes in terms of character stuff. And, uh, yeah, but, but still really solid performances. And the last area where I felt like the stakes were lower was in the visual effects. Uh, now, that's kind of a weird thing to say. I guess that kind of goes hand in hand with action. It's almost kind of the same thing you might say this was not a huge spectacular epic you know x-men battle movie you know it, it's i felt like the apocalypse was on a much grander scale with much higher stakes even than this movie um the 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 scale of the final kind of like climactic action sequence felt more like the scale of like a mid-movie action sequence of you know mo a modern superhero movie and i was like oh really okay um so 
it's weird. This movie felt a little bit like going out with a whimper, if this is the last one with First Class, and also with the carpet being yanked out from under them, because I really feel like there are elements in this, as much as it was kind of wrapped up in a number of ways, there was one significant element that I was like, uh, they are totally setting up another movie here, and we're not going to get it, probably? I, I don't know. I don't know. Anyway, um, so as far as themes go, uh, this one was an interesting viewing for me, that the X-Men movies have always been, in part, about being proud of your differences. You know, they're attached to, uh, uh, like, like uh, racial things and uh, uh, sexual orientation issues and gender identity things and stuff like that. Um, so it's they've been, I think, kind of like using this franchise to kind of speak to those issues. And, uh, and, and so the idea of just kind of being proud of your differences, whatever they might be, has been a recurring theme in these movies. This is the first movie to subtly, maybe even unintentionally a bit, I don't know, uh, challenge that a bit. Jean is certainly not responsible for much of what she does as the Dark Phoenix in this movie, but there was already a brokenness to her. As much as they come back to Xavier telling her she is not broken as a major dramatic beat in this movie... She has dysfunction in her self-understanding, uh, some of which could be Xavier's fault, but some of which seems to be, you know, originate, originating in her as well. You know, there's a flashback sequence dealing with this tragic event of her past that as a little child, it would have shattered any little child. But maybe it was, I don't think it was just because the child actress couldn't give do a convincing crying scene. She seemed to be bottling and not really letting out the emotion of this tragic thing that happened to her in the scene at the time that, you know, it that would have been really appropriate for her to do that. And so uh, it seemed like, OK, there's some psychological damage that happened as a result of this tragic thing, this bottling going on, even though it wasn't her fault. Um, it's this natural part of who she is, you know. Um, and the, the the movie really reminded me, I think, that, uh, that the things that make us unique, that maybe we even wrongly attach our sense of identity and our sense of value to, may also have some dysfunction tangled up in them that we need to be willing to look at and deal with. Whether that dysfunction is the result of how we were born or how we were treated by others, we still have the choice to seek healing or let those problems fester and hurt both us and those we care about the most. Uh, we want, I think, to aim for the humble attitude of the psalmist who wrote in Psalm 139 verses 23 and 24, search me, O God, and know my heart, try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Uh, all right, so I have no idea what your uh, preferences are in movies, but if I were a time traveler, I'd go back in time and it's like, Peter. Oh man, um, you know, buy this one for your collection when it comes out on home video, but perhaps even wait for a sale. Uh, you'll want to have this in your collection to kind of cap off the series, or as a stepping stone if by chance they do continue with uh, this cast. But it's not one that it's not what you'd hoped it would be, um, and it's nothing that you need to see right now in theaters. You can get my spoiler-filled reactions to Dark Phoenix in my spoiler car video series, just one of many perks available for your support at patreon.com slash spiritbladeproductions. Right now, I'd like to take some time to write a tune.
for pre-made reggae. The lyrics kind of never change, but the melody gets rearranged. I'll never know what I'll create to say how much I appreciate. Barbells and joysticks, Libre, Stefan Kramick and Winston Crutchfield. Thank you for supporting me and SBP and CGC. And now to all who hear this tune, thank you as well. Please come back soon. Want to hear your name in song? Check out our page on pay. Uh, this one's rated PG-13 for intense sequences of sci-fi violence and action, including some gunplay, disturbing images, and brief, strong language. Feedback! Feedback! Give me your thoughts on this podcast, of course. I mean, I guess anything else if you really want to. Uh, but also Christian Geek Central and our YouTube channel or anything else we're doing. I want to know what we should keep or change or just what's on your mind you'd like a potentially uninformed opinion on. We want to make this show and all of Christian Geek Central as fun and useful as we can. But we have to hear from you to do that. You can send an email or audio file recorded on your phone to P-A-E-T-E-R at spiritblade.com. And once again, if you'd like some help finding a good church in your area, I want to help you if I can. Online resources and communities are a good supplement, but by nature, they can't speak to your particular situation like relationships in a local church can. The context for almost everything in the New Testament assumes that we are serving and building purposeful relationships in a local church. So whether you're in a church that lacks Bible-based intentionality or not attending any church at all, if I can help you get connected to an authentic, compassionate, Bible-oriented church, I want to do that. You can email me at P-A-E-T-E-R at spiritblade.com. Dang it, why couldn't I have a simpler name? Why couldn't it just be Peter? It would, like, everything would be so much simpler. <laughs> anyway, if you want to reach me by email, then we can try to look at some websites of churches in your area together. I'd love to do that with you. Uh, stay tuned after the credits for DS9 Shawarma with Matt McKinney of POSTOS, or jump back to episode 400 if you want to start from the beginning. As a reminder, you can find episodes 0 through 500 of this podcast archived as the Spirit Blade Underground podcast at spiritblade.com. Next week, if God allows it anyway, I will have for you a mammoth, probably epic-length show covering all my reactions to the video game news of E3 2019. Should be fun. Till then, please consider supporting the work of Christian Geek Central and Spirit Blade Productions and earning some fun rewards, as I mentioned earlier, by becoming a Spirit Blade insider of any subscription tier at patreon.com slash Productions. You can also help this work by leaving a positive review of the Christian Geek Central podcast on iTunes or other podcast services. Uh, just a, one or two sentences is all it takes. That's a great way to help us grow and help more people find this kind of content when they're looking for it. Um, thank you guys so much for making time for this show again, and or for the first time if you're trying us out for the first time. Um, I hope you have a great week and that you'll join me next time here on the Christian Geek Central podcast as we continue to geek out and seek the truth. <laughs> The 
Christian E. Central Podcast is a community-supported endeavor of Spirit Blade Productions. This podcast is produced by Peter Fremson with support from the Christian E. Central community at ChristianEcentral.com. For information about the latest entertainment and resources from Spirit Blade Productions, visit SpiritBlade.com. Thank you for listening. The Dominion has endured for 2,000 years and will continue to endure long after the Federation has crumbled into dust. Five years ago, no one had ever heard of Bejor or Deep Space Nine, and now all our hopes rest here. And that was Covenant. Um, an interesting episode. I, I really don't know if I call it a good episode or a bad episode or what. Um, this is very relevant to Faith. It's got a lot of contrivance and a lot of expected cliches. A lot of informed attributes, a lot, a lot of bad storytelling stuff. But I think the core plot, and there are good, there are moments that are very, uh, that have a lot of power to them. Uh... Kira gets visited by an, her old pastor, for lack of a better word, um, and he gives her a device, and I think this is the same device way, way back in the Gemadar, Eris, the first Vorta we ever met. She slapped the back of her hand at the very end, and she just disappeared, and there was no ship that we noticed she went to. And this actually is teleports Kira uh, all the way to Empok Nord. You remember a station that's about three or four days away by maximum warp. So this is a long way away. I think that's one of those things that Kim's talking about is contrivance. This is as stupid as what the the, bo- the reboot movies did, where he's like, oh, now we can beam from Earth to the Klingon homeworld. That's almost that dumb. But at the same time, it's just an e- It would be... I guess you could have said they just loaded her onto a ship, took off, and flew there. They need just- to have some way to remove Kira far enough from DS9 that there was no hope of her getting back or getting help. And I will say, at least by saying that this is a Dominion technology, because they do say that very clearly, um, that they do make they do tie it into a passing and even help justify what looks like a plot hole in that episode. That she just beamed into nothingness, apparently. Um, he took her to Empok Nord because, if you remember, at the beginning of Season 7, Kira says, after the, the province disappeared for three months, there was a resurgence in the cult of the Parates, which we're, we're told repeatedly is all about hate and fear, hate and fear, even though we saw one person do a bad thing under their banner, which this episode even addresses and says that was one lone person acting like a wacko. Now, granted, every time we've encountered an actual paw race... They've been psycho and evil, no doubt. Yes. But the question is whether they're worshippers of psycho yeah. and evil. And as I've said back then, I'll say it again, I really wish that instead of the cult of the paw rates, it wouldn't work for this episode because this is all about a cult, but... Uh, I wish it was the resurgence of the circle, back from the Bajor for Bajorans people. Because that is much more, you can say, is hate and fear than just people who are worshipping different gods than what the mainstream worship. That's not inherently hate and fear. And that's kind of the theme of this episode, is how to deal with people who believe different than you. And we had an, an opening scene, which was interesting, where Odo was talking before all this happened. Odo was talking with Kira and Bashir and uh, Ezri about he wants to go with Kira to her church service. And Kira says, well, if you don't believe in the prophets, you probably won't get much out of it. So they start talking about, well, would you? how would you feel if he, if he had a different religion? 
And Kira just says, oh, yeah, it's nobody. It was like, uh, your beliefs, your religion is not just your favorite soft drink. It's not just a different, like, Kim likes Dr. Pepper, and I don't get that. I also like ginger ale, and you find that kind of foul. And that's not a problem in our relationship. <laughs> if she didn't believe in Jesus, that would be a problem. Yeah. Um, and it's like, you can tell that this episode was written by people who, they're, they're not scornful of the religious, but clearly are not religious themselves. They don't, they don't know these things firsthand, matters of faith. And there's a line Kira says later where she says, uh, in my experience, anyone who tries to convince anyone else uh, of their beliefs really just lack their own belief and are looking to they're justify it. They're trying to convince themselves. Yeah. That's and it's like, or they believe that this is a truth that needs to be spread because it's to that person's benefit. Well, and again, apply that to anything other than religion. Anyone who finds the need to convince someone else of... Global warming. Global warming doesn't really believe in global warming. They're trying to convince themselves. Yeah. You know, anyone who needs to convince someone else that, you know... Um, the Star Wars prequels were bad. Yeah. <laughs> Basically, any argument you make, you're not really making an argument. You don't believe your own thesis. Yeah. It, it's like that whole thing where anyone who... Uh, opposes homosexuality must secretly be gay. It's that same flawed yeah. logic. It's like, whatever you want to argue, that doesn't really apply universally. I'm well, sure there are some exceptions where that is the case, but that doesn't mean that's the, the definition. Well, also in this opening scene, um, when you, you mentioned Kira said to Odo, I don't know that you want to come to services because if you don't believe in the prophecies, you, prophets, you won't get much out of it. And Odo says something about, well, maybe if I had an orb experience, and Kira said, no, it doesn't work that way, you, you have to believe in the prophets first. To which I'm thinking to myself, well, then what is the issue, because... Why, why did the Negus have an orb experience, or Quark, or Cisco? Well, what I'm also thinking, in this universe, in the Deep Space Nine universe, there is no question that the prophets exist. That they do what they're said to do. They... They, there is clearly something that lives in the wormhole and that interacts fairly regularly with the DS9 crew. Well, apparently orb experiences are so common that you can basically get on the waiting list in a fairly short while yeah, you, to go you, down you to the local temple. Yeah. It's, it's like a research appointment at your local library. You, you call them and... Which I would think they'd be cut, there'd be a huge line if, it's, if there was really a talk to God box. Even if you only got it in like vague, weird symbols and all that, still, you'd think that there would be a constant yeah, you line. Think, you'd think it would be like getting an audience with the Pope. Only a couple people can do it, and yeah. But, no, that's not the thing. Is Clearly, the prophets do exist. So it's not a case of Odo doesn't believe they exist. He doesn't believe they're gods. He doesn't believe they're gods. And given his own back, people's backstory, that makes perfect sense why he'd be scornful of any alien who says, I'm a god, because that's what his people exactly. do. Exactly. But then you're, you're wondering to yourself, all right, but then he wants to go with Kira, so what's the... Yeah, why, why is that... Just go. That's, that's, how you, that's how you gain faith, is you spend time and you study and you learn, and then you, you make the choice of faith. It, it, and it almost has that, that asinine logic you hear some people say of like, oh, I can't go to church, I've done too much bad, I need to stop doing bad, then I can go to church. That's like saying you need to get over your disease before you go to the hospital. And, but, like I say, that's all just setting up the theme. Uh, the main episode, which, to be fair, the main episode is relatively simplistic. 
Kira has been kidnapped, and Dukat is running this cult of the Pares. And Dukat is in full Kai Win mode. He's got the smug, I mean, he's, you know, sitting... In, and they set up the theme of forgiveness in this episode, and what's interesting is it almost seems like they're acting at the beginning like, oh, forgiveness is all about just, if someone does something and they say they're sorry, you have to let them back into your lives. That's not what forgiveness is. Forgiveness means you will not punish him. You do not need to hunt them down. You don't need to hold hatred in your heart. All those things. It has nothing to do with letting them back into your lives. And as I was talking with Kim about this, this is like, well, if you, did your dad molest you as a kid? Well, you have to let them back in your lives and let them, have to let them spend time with your kids or else you're not forgiving. And it's like, you can, you can forgive him and still not let him in your life because you don't trust him. That's completely reasonable. And it almost seems like this episode's kind of going with that, actually, which surprised me. Because they talked about forgiveness, and then they showed that forgiveness is not as simple as, if you really mean it, it's okay. Because we find out Dukat really means it, and he's really sorry about some things, and really believes things, and yet he's still doing horrible, horrible evil. So, sorry to ruin it for you, he still ends up the villain of this episode. You'd, you'd think after, after a kidnapping, he'd be over that. And most of the episode is just uh, seeing this uh, Waco, Texas level cult, Jonestown kind of thing going on. These people are living under the under the, an oppressive thumb of Ducat's laws. It's like you can't even have children unless unless the master, as they call him, allows you grants you permission. You know your typical cult stuff. Um, and of course, all the people are just smiling and happy with it. And uh, and I would say this, and this is true, just on a church level even. If belief in your leaders somehow equates to belief in your God, in other words, if your leader does something terrible, now I don't believe in God anymore, that's messed up right there. That's a bad sign. Because there are a lot of Christian leaders I have little to no respect for. Whether they're just bad theology, or they've committed grievous sins and don't repent, or whatever it is. But that doesn't mean I don't believe in Jesus. It just means I don't want to go to that person's church. And... They they act like, oh, once we got Ducat in these lies, then they'll stop believing in the par rates. It's like, well, if that's true, which is what happens at the end of the episode, um, then how strongly do they believe in the par rates? Because if my pastor was caught in some sort of a thing and I believed that it was all true and he had done the terrible things, again, I would leave that church, but I wouldn't stop believing in Jesus. My, my faith is not about my leader. Um, yeah, there's not, 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 not as to this episode. There's some interesting things. Um, it's, it's, it's a good one to watch if, like, Pater, you like looking for how religion is treated. Yes. Fiction. It certainly is an interesting for relevancy. It's, it's got a lot of yeah. arguments. Some I can get on board with, some I can't. There, it's, this is not a cut and dry, this says stupid things, or this says great things. It's got some dumb and it's got some wisdom. So you you do have to parse it out. And if you like chewing on that and parsing it out, this is a good one to chew over and parse over. Um, it's certainly it's an all but forgettable episode because we already know that this basically confirms what we saw at the, at the beginning of Season 7, that Ducat is getting tied in with the Pirates, which he already was in that episode. So other than a confirmation of the direction he's going, because the next time we'll see him is when we enter the final arc of the whole series. So, other than that confirmation, that's about all that matters here. We won't see any of these characters again. We've never saw them before. But like I say, if you want to go into some relevance discussion, 
about faith and religion and all that, well, check it out. If not, you could skip it. Well, I guess we'll see you next time for the follow-up to last time's Vietnam episode and what's going to happen with Nog's leg in It's Only a Paper Moon. <laughs>